Last week we were involved with the discussion of what faith is not. We didn't quite finish that lesson, so we are going to continue with lesson two. So then this would now be Living by Faith, lesson two, part two. We're talking about the importance of faith in our Christian life, the vital importance of faith. Without faith we can't please God. And the reason is, if we understand what faith really is, it's that which empowers us to live the godly life on earth. Without that power, we can't. It's very much like petrol in a car. If we don't have petrol in the car, the car, to all intents and purposes, is useless. Now, the point we've been making is that there are so many misconceptions about faith. And if our understanding is wrong, we are precluded from operating correctly. So the whole intent here is to try and get an understanding of what faith actually is. In the process, we've been trying to expose and remove from our thinking false conceptions. We started off by saying it's not an intellectual state of mind. You can agree intellectually with the Word of God, but that does not mean you and I actually believe it. We also said that faith is not a feeling. You can be feeling good, but that doesn't mean you have faith. The other side of the coin is it's quite possible to not feel good at all, but still be strong in faith. Faith is not part of our soul being. It's a spiritual thing. Faith is not membership of a particular organization. We mentioned that as well, because the disciples were part of Yeshua's band, so to speak, didn't mean that they had the same faith that he did. They had to develop it for themselves. And faith is not a magic formula. It's not an abracadabra, say a few Bible words and it happens. Far from it. Faith is much more than that. And we're hoping to find out what it actually is. But before we continue, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that this word will come alive in our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We pray that this word will go far and wide, and all those within the sound of my voice will emerge with a greater understanding of what this precious commodity, faith, actually, actually is. We ask it in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Now, the next thing that needs to be said is that faith, real faith, whatever it may be, is not a vague hope. It's not a vague hope. Let's just go to a scripture that we'll be returning to on many occasions, and that is found in Mark 9, 23 and 24. Mark 9, 23 and 24. You recall this incident where a man with a child that obviously suffered from epileptic seizures came for healing, and the disciples were unable to do this. Obviously, people would come and the disciples would pray for them first and then if they didn't have success, they'd move on so that the Lord wouldn't be flooded. But anyway, they couldn't do it. All right. Now, verse 20, then they brought him to him and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, this is the Lord asking the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now the Lord says this to him. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. A blanket statement. If you can believe, this will happen. You see, if you can give me faith, if you can present sufficient faith, this thing can happen. Now listen to the father's response. He cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe. Then immediately he says, help my unbelief. That phrase is extremely telling. Let's try and enter into it. Here this man is, obviously his faith has taken a terrible knock all these years. The disciples can't do it. His last hope is the master. If you are able, you see. The Lord says, well, if you believe it's possible. No trouble, no problem, can be done. The father immediately says, I believe. Now you see, when he said, I believe, if he had stopped right there, it would have been a done deal. But you see, he goes on to say, help my unbelief. What is he saying? He's really saying, I want to believe. I would like to believe, but there's something stopping me. He's honest enough to realize that somehow he's battling. You see, and many Christians approach this faith business with the same attitude. It's basically a vague hope. We would like it to happen, but if you really want to know my heart, I don't think it's going to happen. I remember one occasion I came across a family, their 12-year-old daughter, I think it was, was suffering from lung cancer, a terrible affliction. I came in on the situation quite late. And there we are by the bedside and I asked the parents, do you think that God can heal your child? And they said, oh yes, yes, we know God can heal our child. Anyway, we prayed the prayer of faith. And maybe two days later, I think it was two or three days later, I came into the ward, noticed that she wasn't there. I just asked the nurse, well, what happened? Well, she said, unfortunately, the child has died. And then the nurse said something quite interesting. She said, but it wasn't a bad thing because it was such a lovely funeral. It's amazing how we humans try and adapt to a situation. Anyway, I said, well, how so? How can a funeral of a 12-year-old child be a wonderful occasion? And the nurse said, well, she had requested roses for the funeral and there was lovely roses and etc., etc." In other words, I was standing by the bedside asking the parents, do you think God can heal your child? They said, yes, of course he can. Meanwhile, in their heart of hearts, they were actually planning the funeral. Now, can you see? They were vaguely hoping God could do something, but the truth of the matter is, deep down, they didn't think he could or would. And of course, that's not faith, you see. That is not faith. So please, we must understand something. Just saying, oh, we hope God can do it, or we think God can do it, or yes, we know God can do it. If it's not accompanied with real faith, those words are actually meaningless. I hope we're grasping this. Faith is much more. Another thing that faith is not, and please, this is so very, very important. Many people accuse those who are teaching faith that we are living in denial. We've been accused of living in what people call 
cloud cuckoo land. You see, faith for your information is not denial. You see, when you and I exercise faith, we are not saying that the condition does not exist. We are not closing our eyes to the reality. Because we might proclaim our healing in Christ doesn't mean we are not being challenged with sickness. Let's just look at a scripture in this regard. We'll have a lot to say about it. 1 John 5 verse 4. 1 John 5 verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See that? This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith doesn't state that there's no problem. Faith doesn't say, oh, well, these things don't really exist. No, faith realizes that these things do exist, but it overcomes that which is in the world, according to the scripture. Do you see that? Real faith overcomes. It doesn't ignore. It doesn't pretend. It doesn't say, oh, it doesn't really matter or doesn't really exist. No, faith is fully cognizant of the facts, realizes the issues, but doesn't let the issues stop it. Faith overcomes. So please, don't have that thinking in your mind that faith is denial. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now the next thing I need to mention is this. Another accusation is that people who make a faith stand, a strong faith stand, are trying to manipulate God. You see, trying to say to God what he must do, what he must deliver, what he must perform. Once again, nothing could be further from the truth. Let's look at two scriptures. Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you see that? It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, we're not manipulating God to give us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Your kingdom, that is in heaven, be done on earth. You don't have to trust God to do what he's promised, what he's told us to pray about. It's his good pleasure to give it to us. The next thing I need to say, let's go to Isaiah 45.19. Isaiah 45.19. I have not spoken in secret, in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Now, what we're trying to say is this. True faith does not manipulate God. True faith understand what God has said. What he has openly said, what is openly promised, and gives God the ability to make that promise manifest in the earth. You see, we're not trying to twist God because true faith, as we are going to see, has to be based, is based on his word. You can't manipulate somebody 
if they've already promised you something. That's not manipulation. That's reminding. You think of a child. If a father has said to his son, if you get good marks, I'll buy you a bicycle. The young man comes home with his report, proudly shows his father, there's your good marks. And then he says, now, let's go and buy my bicycle. Is that child manipulating his father? Not at all. If he's a good father, what will he say? I'm so proud of you. Let's get in the car and go now. What color do you like? You understand? That's God for you. You see, we're not saying to him, Well, Dad, I want a bicycle. I want a bicycle. I want a bicycle. Every five minutes. Reminding him that we want a bicycle. The father hasn't made any promise. The family might be struggling. We don't know. But you see, that's something completely different. However, if the father has made a promise, you do well, it's his great joy to say, let's get you a bicycle. Amen. And you've got to realize, faith doesn't manipulate God. You can't manipulate God. Only a fool would think that you can manipulate God. Then we're not required to be fools. You see? So faith is not, please, not manipulating God. If we claim healing, it's not because we want healing, although we should want it, obviously, but because he has promised. In the heart of this whole thing, real faith is always based, can only be based, on what God has said, as we are going to see. So please, put away this foolish notion that when you and I operate in faith, we try to somehow twist God's arm. Nothing could be further from the truth. When it comes to blessing his children, we don't have to twist his arm. He's more than happy to give it to us. We have to understand that. God is a good father, a good God. The next thing we need to look at is this. Faith is not what I will call frenetic church activity. Frenetic meaning being very involved, consistently doing stuff for the kingdom. A lot of people confuse this with faith. Let's just look at a scripture here. Acts 12, 11 to 18. Now please, we're not saying that church activity is a bad thing. Not at all. In fact, the truth of the matter is that if you and I are full of faith, it will prompt us to be very active for the kingdom of heaven. Alright? Acts 12, 11 to 18. This is the occasion where Peter has been incarcerated and then he gets delivered mightily by this angel, you see. And he's out of prison, and the angel has helped him out of the prison, he's on his own. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. Okay, now, the saints are concerned about Peter, and they're busy praying. They're involved with church activity, praying. Peter knocks on the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. What are they praying for? <laughs> 
They're praying for Peter's release. They say involved praying for him that when he gets released, they can't believe it. You understand? They're not exercising faith. It's quite humorous, actually. And yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, it is his angel. All right? Can you see the unbelief? They're praying for his release, but in their heart of hearts, they don't believe it's going to really happen. Fortunately, God intervened. Anyway, Peter continues knocking. He opens the door. They see him. They're all astonished. And then the whole process takes place. But you see, it's possible to be so involved with church activity, we're not really releasing faith. Another example of this is in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Yeshua's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Can you see? She was busy doing the works of ministry. Not a bad thing. But she got upset with her sister who just sat and listened. Yeshua lovingly, I'm adding that in there, because of his answer and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Somehow Mary realized who this was, that he wasn't going to be around forever, and she was making the most of what he had to say. You see, she was developing her faith, as we're going to learn. Now, we're not saying, as I've said, that church activity is a bad thing. Not at all. But you see, what we're saying here is that church activity must not be confused with real faith. And why that is a problem is, there are occasions, for example, where a person might have been in the ministry. He might have given his life for God. He might be a great servant or somebody who's really involved with everything and then suddenly they contract some form of sickness and maybe they die. And people say, well, they were so good. They were, they were so wonderful in what they were doing, you see. Why did they die? Well, the truth of the matter is this. Many times, you see, we confuse good deeds for faith and they're not the same thing. In our heart of hearts, very often we think that if we just do good, God is obliged to protect us, etc. In other words, we earn that right by our behavior. But the truth of the matter is, we are trying to substitute that activity, our good work, so to speak, for faith. And it doesn't work. You see, true faith is something separate from righteous living. Now, obviously, it has to be said that we will not be able to exercise faith if we do not live righteously. They are connected. But the point is, they are not the same thing. Often it happens that somebody who served God all their life might have gone for prayer for healing for a certain affliction, never seen results. And then in a crusade, somebody who is a complete sinner comes in probably with the same sickness and instantaneously gets healed. And the big question is why? You see, it's hard to grasp this, but it is a fact. God, thankfully, doesn't rely on our good works. But he has given us the option of exercising faith. 
And if we confuse the two, you see, we preclude it from exercising real faith. It has nothing to do with good works. Now, James speaks about, show me your faith by your works. That's another discussion altogether. But please, right now, let's understand something. Faith is not righteous living. It produces righteous living. We cannot live righteously without faith, as we are going to see. But they're not the same thing. Don't make the mistake of thinking, because you and I are living righteously, that that means we have great faith. It's not necessarily the case. Amen. Having looked at all of these options that are not faith, the question obviously is, what is faith? What then is faith? To answer, let's go to Hebrews 11 verse 1. And this is now a very, very important revelation that I pray that we will grasp. It's not easy, but it is possible. And only by the Holy Spirit can this revelation, as every other one, become real in our hearts. Hebrews 11 is the big chapter on faith. Just going to read verse 1. Now, listen carefully. Faith, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now you see, what we've got to realize is that faith is a substance. It is a substance. It is a materiality, if I can put it that way. However, the difficulty for us humans is that this materiality is not of this world. It's not material substance. It's a spiritual substance. Just let that sink in. Now you see, it's the evidence of things not seen, you see? And the big point to grasp here is that because we cannot see something, because we cannot comprehend it empirically, this is the big divide, you see. It is material, but it's not material of this world. It's material of the spiritual world. Because we cannot see something, does not mean that it is not there and that it is not real. It's so critically important to understand this. God is a spirit. Many people say, well, you can't see him, so he can't be real. As I'm talking now, you cannot see me. Does that mean I don't exist? Obviously not. This is the big conflict that we humans have. And you see, the way it works is this. People say you can't see God. The truth is you can see him. But to see him, we have to have eyes that can see into the spirit world. You see, it's not a case of God not being there. It's just that we can't see him. 
if I have a blindfold over my eyes, no matter how real my surroundings are, I can't see it. And somebody can say to me, you are in a house, there's the clock, there's the piano, there's the window, there's the computer, there's your beautiful wife. And because I'm blindfolded, I can turn around and say, you're lying. I can't see it. Now this is where we've got to have understanding. Supernatural revelation. The truth is, the spirit world is far more real than the world we can see. The fact of the matter is, if we read on there, in Hebrews 11, verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you see that? doesn't mean they were made of things that didn't exist. It just means they were made of things that exist, but we couldn't see. We can't see. Faith is one of these things. You see, now as you and I have a spirit being, it's possible to have faith in measure to the extent that we can actually become aware of its substance. And once we are aware of the substance in our spirit man, at that stage we have real faith. And when we have real faith, it empowers us to really, really believe. You see, that man with a child, he knew God could do it. But in his spirit man, there was not sufficient of this heavenly materiality for him to say, I know you can do it. Amen. That is what real, real faith is. And we're going to talk about it in more detail. But I trust that you've just grasped something of what we're going into. Faith is not mental assent. It's not a feeling, an emotional feeling, good or bad. It's not some spiritual hocus-pocus. It's not a vague hoping. It's not belonging to some organization. It's not trying to manipulate God's hand. It's not denying the realities of life. It's not something we have because we've been good. Faith is a substance. And we're going to learn a lot more about the substance and the lessons that lie ahead. And more importantly, learn that this substance, this heavenly materiality, in your and my heart is something that can grow and is the key to living an abundant life. I trust you've been blessed in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen.